Chapter Fifteen of Early Days of Old Oregon by Catherine Barry Judson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: The Oregon Trail. If a lively mule kicked off the coffee pot while you were crossing the Oregon Trail, where would you get another? From the Missouri River to Fort Hall, built in 1834, there was no place at which you could buy anything only indians roamed the rolling prairies the level plains or the rugged mountains and little could be traded from them except furs it was quite the other way indeed for indians wanted kettles and pots so great was this need that later fort laramie was built in the rocky mountains but although built as a trading post for immigrants its supplies were limited and its prices sky-high before fort hall was built there was no stopping place between the missouri river and fort walla walla look at the map on the next page and see how long a trail that was and how many opportunities for loss in crossing the rivers and creeks and climbing the rugged mountains at first no one went to oregon and so there really was no oregon trail there was only the trail for the fur traders and trappers who went to the rocky mountains with their trading goods and came back with the packs of furs immigrants of later years going to the columbia river followed that same old fur trading route and so it came to be called the oregon trail at first only men and boys went on the fur trade trail with their traps and their trading goods they used pack horses or mules only no wagons meat was supplied by the buffalo and deer on the plains but each camp carried its own coffee sugar bacon flour and perhaps a few books each camp carried also its own tin plates and cups its own iron forks and spoons its own frying pans and coffee pots so if that lively mule kicked off his pack in what is now eastern colorado perhaps and lost the bread pan or the coffee pot there was trouble indeed for the traders sometimes these trappers and traders had exciting adventures captain william sublet with a party of sixty trappers was surprised one morning on the kansas prairies by a band of comanche indians he says there were a thousand of them mounted on their racing indian ponies painted for war fully armed with guns which they were waving in the air they came sweeping down on the little band of white men sixty whites against hundreds of indians as these whooping indians came nearer captain sublet told his men to make ready to fire but not to shoot until he did the men raised their guns and stood waiting on swept the ponies bringing the indians nearer and nearer still whooping and yelling and waving their guns until they were within three hundred feet of the white men sublet gave a quick glance at his own men they were ready he raised his gun aimed it at a leading chief and prepared to fire instantly that chief sprang off his pony and laid his gun on the ground sublet understood he at once laid down his own gun but his men kept theirs aimed ready to shoot the chief began to walk toward sublet sublet at once advanced toward him that meant a peace talk but both indians and whites watched closely to see that there was no treachery to sublet's surprise this chief said that he and his warriors would go away if the white man would give them a present that was the easiest way out of a bad scrape sublet thought and he at once agreed the presents were given and the indians rode away sublet never knew whether they admired his men for their coolness 
or whether they were a little afraid to attack those sixty grim-looking determined white trappers at any rate it was cheaper for the indians not to fight and much safer for the white men the very first women to cross the plains you will remember were mrs spaulding and mrs whitman in eighteen thirty six after that went a few other women also missionaries later a few indian women with their american trapper husbands such as the well-known joe meek and their children went from the rocky mountains into the oregon country the mountain fur trade was done for they said nearly all the fur-bearing animals were killed off especially the beaver it was eighteen forty one and eighteen forty two before white women settlers began to cross the oregon trail to the oregon country when it was found that women could go to oregon whole families began to go including little children and even the babies they travelled in big canvas-covered wagons called prairie schooners the lines of white canvas wagon tops crossing the rolling green prairies made a pretty picture much like the white sails of ships on the rolling green waves of the ocean inside each wagon was packed all the furniture chairs feather beds bureaus trunks bundles of bedding and clothing and perhaps even a stove the mother with the very little children rode inside or up on the seat the larger children raced with each other picked wild flowers and played with their dogs for the family dogs went too the fathers walked along the dusty trail swinging the black oxhide goad driving the slow clumsy oxen as they dragged the heavy wagons over that long long trail creak 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 over the grassy waves of the prairies and over the flatness of the bare treeless plains sometimes far from water sometimes by the side of the muddy waters of the platte with its shallow banks on and on rolled the wagons from westport now a part of kansas city the emigrants passed up the platte river into that land where no trees were a country where a man could hide behind nothing but his own shadow indians sometimes attacked the emigrants but only to drive off the horses and steal what they could these were usually called friendly indians in a real fight hostile indians circled round and round the caravan on their trained ponies they shot from under the horse's neck each man lying so low on his pony's back that he seemed to be a part of the little animal their yelling and whooping frightened not only the travellers but the horses and mules snorting with fear the animals would break loose then the indians could easily drive them off sometimes in such fights men and women were killed and the train of wagons had to stop long enough to bury the dead at noon the travellers stopped only long enough for a quick luncheon the oxen and horses were not unyoked at night the wagons at sunset formed a great circle to defeat indian attacks the whiffle-tree of each wagon was fastened with a strong chain to the back wheel of the wagon in front inside the circle were the horses mules and oxen it would be hard for the indians to break through that circle of chains and wagons supper was cooked by the mothers at the little fires which glimmered all around the circle on the ground the great heavy iron frying-pans with their long iron handles so heavy that one could lift them only with an effort were taken out of the wagons bacon was fried and perhaps the coarse flour and water with salt was mixed and fried in the bacon grease also for bread there was not a separate pot and pan for everything in the museum of the oregon historical association at portland is a wooden trough which was used on one long journey across the plains 
as a bathtub for the baby as a wash basin as a chopping bowl it was used for mixing bread dough and sometimes food was packed away in it after supper everyone was ready for play or for bed there was nearly always a fiddler in the larger trains and sometimes the older boys and girls and young men and women would dance on the grass but the smaller children were glad enough to go to sleep the older boys slept as did the men on the ground under the wagon the mothers and the girls with the wee little boys slept in the wagon bed the night air was cool and sweet if boys or girls were awake in the night they could look up at the stars shining in the quiet sky above them and in the darkness and silence they could hear the howling of wolves or the jerky bark of coyotes storms came sometimes it was not always pleasant weather the rains poured down upon the canvas leaking through wherever a child's hand touched it as the wagons jolted along even as a canvas roof leaks now in the rain if one touches it sometimes high winds blew over tents or even wagons ripping the covering loose and the emigrants would be drenched to the skin their bedding and their blankets wet their sugar all melted and the flour spoiled there were plenty of hardships the howling of wolves at night frightened the horses and often they broke loose wagons overturned in fording the rivers or even in crossing the creeks if the banks were steep another danger came from prairie fires when travellers saw at dawn the red glow of fire at first mistaken for the sunrise or when they saw the dark clouds of smoke far off toward the horizon on a clear day they knew their danger a prairie fire was sweeping toward them at once they started a back fire that is they set fire to the grass close to them stamping it out on one side so that it would not burn into their wagon train and fanning it so that it would sweep toward the oncoming flames then on this burned stretch they drove their wagons and loose cattle on came the prairie fire from in front of them or from behind them leaping and roaring flames sprang high and black smoke rolled above those red tongues in the grass but when it reached the back fire it leaped high fell and died out on the black earth left by the back fire there was nothing more to burn so the fire would sweep by on either side of the travellers yet leave them safe if the fire burned the stretch ahead of them the animals almost starved there was no grass left to eat no food at all for oxen and horses and there might be no food for the travellers either for the fires drove away the buffalo the deer and even rabbits and smaller animals an artist named catlin was travelling over the prairies in early days with two or three friends and an indian guide they wanted to follow a trail to a certain hill lying blue in the distance since the day was fine they set off in high spirits the prairie grass however was very dry and very high it was so high that the men had to stand in their stirrups to see well over it and it was filled with the wild pea-vine in which the horses were likely to entangle their feet after they had started red thunder the guide got off his horse and laid himself flat on the ground with his face in the dirt the white men laughed at him a little saying that he was making medicine but when he arose red thunder said over this plain dwells always the spirit of fire he rides in the cloud the fire-bow is in his hand red thunder said that from the smell of the wind he was afraid that the fire-spirit was awake but the white men could not smell smoke 
there was no sign of either fire or smoke anywhere on that wide sweeping plain lying so green and beautiful in the glorious sunshine so red thunder led the way as they went on and they travelled until noonday while the others were eating their luncheon red thunder lay down again on the ground he seemed to be listening then he arose and his black eyes looked closely all around the horizon suddenly he cried white man see that small cloud the fire spirit is awake in a second all had jumped upon their ponies then away over the trail they raced toward the blue hill which still seemed so far away soon the horses could smell the smoke of the distant fire and faster and faster they sped the wind was blowing hard now and the fire could be seen then they could hear it the terrible roaring like a great waterfall past them fled the wild animals of the prairies fleeing like themselves from the terrible fire spirit the white men dared not look behind them the heavens were black and the smoke suffocating at last red thunder reached the bluff toward which they had been racing he gave a yell as his pony struggled up up on the bare earth where there was no grass to burn the other horses too with a last exhausted effort sprang up the hill as catlin looked down he saw only a few feet below him a sea of living fire there was a fearful roar and the red flames swept past then clouds of dark acrid smoke rose from the plain that too passed on instead of the rolling green of the beautiful prairie there lay below them only a smoking black desolate plain and the glorious sunshine the blue sky and the soft white fleecy clouds above made it only the more dreary a great many emigrants did not see a prairie fire but through the many months of travel as the slow oxen plodded on the sun was hot the trail dusty horses and oxen wore out and had to be left behind to the chance of starvation or wolves men women and children died from sickness and exhaustion all along the oregon trail were graves you could have followed the broad winding road over the prairies and plains by the whitened bones of the animals which had died by the side of it and by the many wooden crosses which marked the grave of some human being the indians called that road worn bare of grass by the thousands of wagons which went over it through the years the great medicine road of the whites they were used only to the narrow trails of their own people and that wide road worn so white and so bare was a great wonder to them as the emigrants neared the mountains they threw away everything they could to lighten the load as the weary oxen pulled it up the steep rough mountain road they even shortened the wagon beds to reduce the weight necessary articles were thrown out bureaus with clothing in them trunks filled with clothing wagons were abandoned at the campfires the weary people forgot their frying pans and coffee pots and many other things the smaller articles were picked up by the indians for anything which had belonged to the white men was big medicine they sometimes took these things to the priests who were living here and there among them to ask the use of them one indian bored a hole in a broken teacup and put it around his neck it was his medicine a mysterious something which would give him power bump 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 so after they had left the plains the heavy wagons bumped through the mountains in what is now wyoming and idaho when fort hall was reached some of the wagons had to be left behind 
ahead of them lay that hungry land where no game lived and nothing grew that land where men had songs for supper and through this land it was wise to take as few things as possible for four hundred miles after leaving fort hall the trail was rough and rocky high with sagebrush and wormwood wheels would come off and axles break so as far as possible everything was packed on the backs of mules and horses old worn-out horses and oxen were left there after being traded for fresh animals the fort people fed the tired beasts rested them and later on sold them again to other immigrants there were lively times at fort hall in those days when an immigrant train was about to start off with the new pack animals many of them were not used to carrying packs oxen would bellow and mules bray and kick while the air was full of flying pots and pans and kettles even as fort hall had helped the whitmans when they passed through it in eighteen thirty six so the officers helped the immigrants of later years but it was not an easy task the fort belonged to a british company the hudson's bay company so when the officers told the immigrants of the hardships ahead and advised them to go to california which was really an easier route the americans thought it was because the british were trying to keep the country this was not true the officers wrote back to london just exactly the same reports that they made to the americans they actually thought it wild in the americans to try to get through with their wagons and children besides so many americans came in later years that there were not supplies enough at the fort to provide for all of them the americans grumbled about that but if the british had not been kindly they would not have helped them at all after the travellers left the fort there was no game little water rough roads hot sun dust cut rocks sagebrush broken wagons worn-out people on and on over the blue mountains with their steep sides and through the grand ronde to fort walla walla but there were also indians and the fort warned the travellers against them after one party had passed fort hall and was travelling along the snake river a band of indians blackheads bobbing about in the water swam across to their side they ran on foot toward them shouting stop stop these immigrants had been warned by the british at the fort knowing they were thieves they drove on and drove rapidly then the indians dodged in and out of the tall sagebrush as high as the horses backs and began to shoot the frightened women and children huddled down in the boxes of the wagons while the men whipped up the horses and mules seeing that the indians ran along the river bank under a bluff to stop the wagons at the foot of a hill the drivers dashed on such a ride as that was down the long hill they plunged without breaks the wagons bouncing from this side to that striking against small stones and almost throwing the children out down that hill they tore and up the next one expecting every moment that the indians would appear shoot again or in some way stop them that night as they drove rapidly on they caught up with another party which had been just ahead of them so the two groups camped together they built fires for cooking and the mothers began to get supper the men unharnessed the horses and mules and fed them as best they could then they smoked around the campfires, keeping the children in full view they expected every moment as they sat there in the light of the fire to be shot at from the darkness around them the next morning they did find indian footprints in the sand near their camp they had been followed sure enough 
but probably the indians were afraid to attack the two parties together when they came over the blue mountains and into the grand ronde the great circle as the french canadians had called it because it was a large and round valley travellers had a hard time with their wagons the mountain sides were so steep they had to tie a rope to the hind wheels of each wagon in going down this rope they twisted around a tree so that as it was paid out the heavy wagon moved slowly and could not so easily upset ropes used in this way cut a screw-like curve in the trees and these may be seen even to this day even the pack-horses had a hard time on the steep trails setting their feet close together sometimes and sliding down every now and then someone had to stop to mend a broken axle or a broken harness so the immigrants crawled up the steep mountain sides and almost crashed down them fording rivers even where the current was quite swift and the water deep until they were safely past the grand ronde from there it was sand and sagebrush again until they reached fort walla walla or perhaps if they felt hostile to the british traders there they would go to the whitman mission and buy vegetables and melons and flour for dr whitman's mission farmed much land and there were supplies which he sold to the travellers indians brought fish to them also large salmon taken fresh from the water one woman took off the big kitchen apron she wore and gave it in payment to an indian for a large salmon that was much better than money in indian eyes from fort walla walla there were two ways of going down the river to fort vancouver one was by water if there were boats the other was over a rough mountain trail through bands of robber indians along the banks of the columbia horses and cattle were always driven by the trail in later years a road called barlow's road was cut through the forest south of mount hood then instead of going to fort vancouver first the cattle could be driven directly to the willamette valley where in early years all the settlers were for many years however the women and children went down the river in the boats of the hudson's bay company which were sent up to the dales to meet them other boats were used or perhaps the trail to the dales these boats were old and called bateaux they were built for the fur trade and not for passengers they had no decks at all they were enormous rowboats sometimes forty feet long yet they were all that could be sent and all that could be spared there were no other boats in the country except the indian canoes little children were tied to the mast so they would not fall overboard tired men and women sat down upon coils of rope rolls of bedding and bundles and packages of all kinds and shapes they even slept upon them curled up as best they could so the travellers came down the columbia river sometimes it was under a blue sky by day with the river dancing and sparkling in the sunshine sometimes it was on a gray day with a broad stretch of gray river all around them and a chill wind blowing sometimes indeed it was late in fall and snow was falling and the days and nights were cold and there was no food very few immigrants had much clothing left after that six months of rough life across the plains and they were sometimes chilled and half frozen they came down the river to fort vancouver where dr mclaughlin gave them a welcome i could not have done more for them if they had been my own brothers and sisters he wrote in later years he gave them food and clothing waiting years for payment he let them have cattle for ploughing and seed grain 
axes to cut down trees that they might build their log cabins he trusted men to repay him when they could raise their crops after their cabins were built and their families taken care of he gave work to many men buying the shingles which they split buying the grain which they raised he did all in his power to help them some of the americans many of them did repay him others hated him because he was british and let their debts go unpaid so this is how the early settlers came into the old oregon country they settled first in the willamette valley later they came into what is now washington and built their log cabins around puget sound End of chapter 15